just reviewing chapter one, you don't have to turn there, but just a couple thoughts. We're going to grab them from chapter one because it sets a background, and I want to do that. His father was Zacharias, or Zechariah, depending on the translation. He was a priest, remember that. His mother was Elizabeth, Elizabeth, and she was of the daughters of Aaron. She was priestly also. So he had, he had the priesthood in his DNA. His birth was supernatural. Remember, it was proclaimed by an angel of the Lord to, to Zacharias in the temple. A supernatural birth because Elizabeth was barren, and she wouldn't be able to have, she was old. Kind of a Sarah of the New Testament. He was an only child, and he was about six months older than his distant relative, Jesus. They were, they were, they were related in some way. He's about six months older. His purpose, as described in Luke 1, was to go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and to guide our feet on the way of peace. He had a clear purpose. And note, it's a good model for us <laughs> to go give and guide. That's good purpose. That was the purpose that drove John the Baptist. And if that's the purpose that drives you to go, to give, and to guide, you'll do well. You'll do well. So before again we jump into chapter three, I'm going to look at the last verse of chapter one. You do not have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. And it says this, describing John the Baptist, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness, or some translations would say deserts, until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You know, it seems that these days, if he had to go to the desert, uh, it seems like the, the, the wilderness, the desert's coming to us these days, you know. <laughs> it's coming to us, the wilderness and the desert, those barren, barren situations that surround us. But uh, we know from Matthew's gospel that John wore a garment of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey, and he was, an insig- he was insignificant in man's economy, but significant in God's. And so I want to apologize for it. T- t- tonight's teaching is going to be a little bit scratchy, kind of like that camel skin <laughs> that he wore. And it's a good thing to, to be... Um, from time to time, to be kind of pricked in your conscience because that's what John did. So we're going we're gonna to honor the man tonight. So it's going to be scratchy. He, he said things to people that challenged them, that disturbed them. And that's not my goal tonight to do that. But if the Spirit does that, then so be it. And do with it what you will. So... A, a note to us, the desert, remember he was in the desert for years and years until he was called out by the Spirit to start a, a public ministry of baptism. And we don't know how long that ministry lasted. Some say six months, some say maybe a year even two. It was short-lived. But it started with the desert. And I think that's so important. I wrote, that, I wrote these things. The desert years came before the calling of God. The wilderness came before the realization the test before the triumph, the fight before the fruition. Jesus himself will spend in the next chapter 40 days in the desert after his baptism. It's true for John the Baptist. It's true for Jesus. And I don't think it's any less true for you. I think you have to spend time in the desert. And none of us signs up for that, right? I'm not gonna, I don't sign up for desert times. You don't sign up for desert times. But there's 
purpose in desert times. And I believe without the desert, John the Baptist wouldn't have been who John the Baptist was. And you will not be who you can be without a desert wilderness time, in your, a season in your life. Unfortunately, there's never just one of them. They come and go. Life is filled with deserts, but they have purpose. God uses desert times in your life. So try not to worry about it too much. Try to work your way through it. In 1998, I've told you this before, I was working. Most of the jobs I'd had, I'd, have up, I'd had up to that time, I was normally the manager or the boss or somewhere like that in about every place I'd ever worked until 1998. And I, I was hired to work for a travel agency. So I've told this story. And I, I'm just, I, I'm not really good at that. I'm not really good at the computer. In fact, I'm really barely okay with it now. And I was not even barely okay with it then. I was, you have to use a computer. It's all about the computer. And I just wasn't good at it. And so I just struggled for a year. Absolutely struggled. The job didn't fit me. I did the best I could. But I decided in that time of just kind of a desert experience for me that um, I would serve people. I wasn't a great travel agent, but I could be a great kind of partner to the people that were working there who were good travel agents, mainly, mainly gals. So I took any dirty job that needed to be done and uh, took me away from the computer, which was good. And uh, it, it, was, it was such a challenging year, and I, would just, I was just trying to think through, where am I going? How, where do I get, how do I get off this plane? How do I, no, no pun intended. Um, how, how do, where, does this, where is this taking me? And it was interesting, because I'd worked there about a year. I was deciding I was going to quit. And uh, I was at Applegate Christian Fellowship at the time, and Pastor John, some of you know Pastor John, he had called me up right at the end of the service and he wanted to talk to me. And I thought for sure he wanted to change some flight because he used our travel agency. And so, and I would have changed him to go somewhere. I don't know where he would have been going, but um, he was smart enough not to book through me. So I was thinking, oh, what's he going to say? Where's he, where's he going? Where's he need to go? And he asked me to become a pastor. Total shock. Total shock. So it was interesting. Of all the years of my life, the one that led to what I do today that I love was, to me, really dry. Really dry. I didn't like it. And I wanted out of it, but I stuck with it until God called me out. He called me out in a very unique way. And he's going to do that same thing for you. Your desert year, years are going to come and go. They may be last, long, last, last longer than a year. And you can't write the script of what a desert looks like in your life. Sometimes I look at people's deserts and I go, I could never make it through that desert. And I probably couldn't. God knew I was kind of a puny guy, so he gave me an easier desert than some of you. But don't, don't fight it. Learn from it. Learn to live in it. Learn to flourish in the desert. And I promise you, sooner than later, you'll enter into a new season, and it'll be lovely. It'll be grand. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 3. We're going to read the first six verses. Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, 
and his brother, Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis. Dude, that sounds like a disease, doesn't it? <laughs> you wonder where they get these, the doctors get the names for all these diseases, you know. I mean, there's a good one if they don't have one. Dude, you've got Trachonitis. <laughs> so, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness or desert, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. John was calling people out of their sin. And people were responding to that by being baptized. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit was involved in all of that. The Holy Spirit used John. And people responded. He was calling out their sin and they were getting baptized. So to the Jew, baptism was a sign, a picture of something. It's a picture of renewal. Remember when years and years and years earlier when the Hebrews were captive to the Egyptians for 400 years. And finally they were called out into a season of renewal led by Moses. And one of the first things they went is they went through the red, what? The Red Sea. It's a picture of baptism. They, they were immersed in the water. Of course, the water wasn't there that, that day, but uh, it was all around them. And then, then they traveled in the, in the wilderness, but they, but they sinned against God. And didn't go immediately into the promised land. They traveled in the wilderness of sin, of all things, for 40 years. And seeking renewal again, before they could enter the promised land, they went through the what? Went through the Jordan River. Another picture of baptism. So baptism to the Jew was a sign of renewal. And baptism today in that tank (laughs) and baptismals all over the world is often the same for many people. I don't know if it's to most people, but at least many people that I've baptized through the years, it's not a coming to Jesus moment. It just isn't. It's not what we would call an outward sign of an inward work. It just really isn't. That does happen much of the time, but not all the time. The other much of the time is they're simply simply being drawn by the Spirit into those waters. And and, and what they're wanting, they're, they're wanting a new start. It's literally a baptism of repentance to many people. I'm sorry for where I've been living. I want to do better. I want to turn over a new leaf. And somehow I think if I get baptized... It'll launch that process in my life. That's, that's why a lot of people get baptized. Is that good? It depends. I think it depends. Victory over sin, which is why a lot of people get baptized, comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus. Ultimately, it comes through his baptism, Romans 6. It's not in these waters that that can happen. Not really. Getting wet will not quench the fiery darts of sin in your life. It just won't. It can't happen. But 
for many, hopefully, it's a step towards being born again. Because only sinners need a savior. Only sinners need a savior. And when I'm baptizing somebody out there, and really a baptism of repentance for them, you know what? They're acknowledging they're a sinner. And that's a huge step towards one day embracing a savior. Because only sinners need a savior. So I don't shun it. I wished every time we, we baptized somebody, it was somebody saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm following the Lord. I'm giving up the lordship of my life. I'm accepting his good gospel. But it's not always like that. So the baptism of repentance remains today, in my opinion. It's still out there. It's there on many Sundays. Let's look at the next few verses, 7 through 9. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Just think of Indiana Jones, and you'll get there on that one. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Interesting. See, the Jews Jews would say this. You know, Jesus would talk to the Jews, and and the, the Jewish, you know, the the Levites and the, and the scribes and the lawyers and the Sadducees, the people who were, that, that were tr- the true Jews, truly adhering to the Jewish faith, he never had kind words to say to them. It was, it was, it was a tough relationship they had. But, but to most the people, Jews, people, Hebrews, Israelites, who were watching this baptizing, many were just saying, you know, we don't need to do that. Because Abraham is our father. We're, we're the blessed ones. We have, we're the chosen people. We have the law. We have the temple. We have the victories, the kings that the Lord said. We have all this stuff. So we really don't have to do that. Which wasn't true at all. And I think that spirit translates even to us today. We're the chosen people. That's what the Bible says. You were chosen before the foundations of the earth to be a believer. I don't understand all that, but I know it's true. We're a chosen people. They were a chosen people. And I think sometimes because we're a chosen people, we can have a little bit of that same attitude that they had. And it might say something like this or look something like this. And it's subtle. And it's hidden, but it's there so often. As God's chosen today as a believer, we could say, I'm a Christian. I'm a chosen one, chosen by God. I'm a Christian, and God forgives me, which he does, so I don't have to deal with sin in my life. Or, I'm a Christian, I'm chosen, and I'm better than that Christian, so I don't have to deal with sin in my life. Or, I'm a Christian, and I read my Bible, and I pray, so I don't have to deal with that sin in my life. Or I'm a Christian, and I'm sure God understands my weakness, so I don't need to deal with that sin in my life. That's just the way we would roll with thought, some of that. We don't address sin in our lives. And this is where we're going to get to the scratchy part that I talked about earlier. 
It's really important that we do. The Bible says this, Romans 6, 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Throughout the New Testament, Paul specifically, he he encourages believers to call out sin in their life. Chosen ones. (laughs) Just like these guys were chosen and didn't want to address. We can do the same thing. You have to deal with sin in your life. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let's read the next four verses, 10 through 14. 10 through 14. And the crowds ask him, what shall we do? What then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than, the author, than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. True repentance, because many were repentant, many didn't let the fact that they were Abraham's sons and daughters stop them from calling out sin in their life and being baptized. Genuine repentance True inner heart repentance is always validated by a changed outward behavior. True inner heart repentance is always validated by a changed outward behavior. Genuine repentance will not only change your life, but the lives of those around you. Genuine repentance will not only change your life, but it'll change the lives of those around you. Genuine repentance does not feel like something. It looks like something. Super important. It might feel good. It might feel better, I guess. But primarily, it looks like something. Genuine repentance produces what the Bible calls fruit or fruitfulness in our lives. Fruit is not philosophical. (laughs) Fruit is tangible. I just cut down our only fruit tree a week ago. I'm really sorry about that. Um, but I had to. It was dying. It was still producing some fruit, but it was slowly dying. This branch died. This branch died. I just had one branch left that bore fruit. And it bore a lot of fruit. But it was the ugliest fruit tree on the block. And so I just, I just, I just didn't want it. I, I can buy a new fruit tree that's not so ugly. So I cut it down. My wife did not like that. But because it was still bearing fruit. But here's the thing with the fruit tree. I never had to wonder if that apple tree bore fruit. You know why? I just had to go look at it. You'd have to wonder. It's not philosophical. It didn't philosophically bear fruit. It, it, It tangibly bore fruit. Repentance starts in the heart, but it works its way out of your life into the lives of other people. They would validate your repentance as much or more than you. It's really true. It's super important. When I grew up, um, when I grew up, 
What does that even mean? Strike that. I haven't grown up yet. So in the 70s, when I was growing up, I, w- I graduated in 1974. And um, so you're quickly doing the math. I know right now you're doing the math, 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 math. 63, yes. Um, and I still like really fast motorcycles. I really do. I'm not going to lie. So, but in the 70s, something called the Jesus Movement happened. Some of you went through that, right? And it was, it was kind of supernatural. It was really supernatural. I, I don't, it was just supernatural. And so I kind of grew up in the middle of that. Graduated in 74, went to college for a couple years in Michigan to a Bible college. And so the music and the, the culture of the Jesus Movement was, was, was pretty thick around me. And the thing that I feel is a little different back then versus today was that men and women who were getting saved in the 70s, repenting of sin, embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior, their lives visibly changed. They really changed. It was like, you are not like that anymore. You are like this. It wasn't, it wasn't philosophical. It wasn't a philosophical salvation. It was a fruitful, very obviously fruitful salvation. Churches were started. Movements were started. Millions got saved. And I think part of that was that in, in those days, in the 70s, it looked like something. Repentance and salvation looked like something. And I look in 2019, even in my own life, which is always a bummer about teaching stuff like this because you have to think about it a lot. What does my life look like? If this was 1970, would my life look different? Would my goals be different? Would my dreams be different? Would I, would I want what I want today to satisfy and fulfill me? I, I don't know that it would. I think it would look different in the 70s. And not everything was right about the 70s for you who lived through it, but, but Christianity was never more beautiful, at least to me. And it's not the Christianity I see today. Maybe with you it is, but not in general. Repentance doesn't look like it used to. You can't get God in your heart, truly have God in your heart, if you understand the gospel and not become a missionary. You know, Matt was just talking to me a day or two ago. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the pillars of Edgewater's mission, missions or mission, four pillars, mission is one of them, and he said, I'm thinking of like, he said something like, I'm thinking of bringing a big mirror out and everybody's, and, and, and to describe our mission program. This is our mission program at Edgewater. You stand in front of it. That was the mission program of the 1970s. These guys were missionaries. Everybody was a missionary. They accepted that calling. And I don't know that I see it as much now as I used to. Grants Pass is never going to change unless you change it. It's never going to change. It's going to get worse. And it's not just you. It's you becoming a missionary, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God through you, no doubt. But that's what happened in the 70s. Repentance looked like something. Fruitfulness looked like something, and I see less of that now, and I'm uncomfortable with it. I see less of it in my own life, and I'm comfortable with that too. 
Let's keep rolling. 15 through 17. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Two things about this little section here. Number one is this. They were fairly quick with John the Baptist to say, you just might be who we're looking for. You, look, you might be the Messiah. You might, Messiah means Savior, the coming one. You, you might be him. You're the one that's going to rescue us. They were quick to come to that conclusion. And, and maybe if I was there, I would have said the same thing. I don't know. But I think we're always quick to find Messiahs. <laughs> All of us are. The Savior, something, something that's going to help us out. Modern day Messiahs. The next new diet plan, it's a modern day Messiah. The next new friendship or relationship, it's a modern day Messiah. The Savior. It's what's going to save me. It's going to bring me joy. It's going to fulfill me. The next new job opportunity, the next vacation, the next big purchase, they will all save me from sadness and despair, like the Messiah. They will bring me joy and fulfillment. And guess what? They won't. They're not the Messiah. <laughs> Only Jesus can fulfill. John the Baptist wasn't who they were looking for, but he was spectacular. And he was inviting in some ways. And, and they thought, well, maybe he is. And the second thing is this. We all want the fire of his spirit. Remember it says, John, it says, one that's coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I think we all want the fire of God's spirit. I don't think there's anybody in here who wouldn't want the fire of God's spirit. But what we don't appreciate, and we don't often underline it, at least I didn't until now, is the fire of his judgment. It's going to be one of those scratchy parts. We want the fire of his spirit. We want the power. We want the fruit of the spirit. And that's all fine. May we experience more and more of that. But what we don't want is the fire of his judgment. The winnowing fork is in his hand. We don't like that. We don't want to talk about that. You're going to be judged one day. I'm going to be judged one day. When is that day? That day is just around the corner for every one of us. We're going to be judged. We're not going to escape judgment. It's not a judgment for sin. Christ was judged on our behalf. That's not what we're going to be judged for. All sin is paid for. It's a judgment of what you did with your life that the Bible says was bought with a price what did you do with your life? That's where you're going to be judged. Not for sin, but what you did with your life. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Listen, for we must all appear, 2 Corinthians, written to believers, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. What did you do with your body? according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Ephesians 6, <clears throat> 7 and 9. 
do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man sows, he shall reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in what? Well, doing. What are you doing with your life? It matters to God and it should matter to you. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Are you wasting it on you? Because most of us, that's what we'll do. We'll waste it on us. Don't waste your life. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you cannot identify things that you're doing with your life that are different than they would be if you weren't a believer, you're probably not doing anything with your life, and you will be judged for that. What's that going to look like? I don't know. It's going to be fire. That doesn't sound fun. It's going to be milepost 97 without the suit on. I don't know. It's not going to be good. You're, are you going to, are, does it mean we're not going to heaven? No. Jesus Christ paid for our sin. He, you're going to be judged for what you did with your life. Are you doing anything with your life? Grant's past will never change unless we do something with our lives that looked like something in the 70s to me. We did stuff with our lives. Our lives looked different. We did something with our life. Don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. You're the missionary. It's you. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, what? I don't know. I'm, I'm figuring out what I need to be doing. Is being a pastor doing what? It may be part of it, but it's not all of it. I guarantee you that's not all of it. It's more than that. It's, it's, it's who you are when nobody's looking. That's who you are. What, what matters to you? I know this is, a, this is the camel hair part of this thing, right? This, but this is John the Baptist. You can't talk about John the Baptist and not sweat a little bit. That's who he was. He made people go, oh, oh. The Holy Spirit does that. And it's a good thing. Don't waste your life on you. Don't waste your life on you. Give it away. Ask God what he wants to do in and through you. It will look like something. You'll be doing something that you weren't or not doing something you were. That's where the judgment comes. And it'll be a fire. 18 through 20. So with many other exhortations... He preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So <laughs> John the Baptist had a rough life. He died at around 30, 29, 30, most say. Lived in the desert wore a camel suit thing, ate honey, wild locust. I mean, the guy wasn't like 210 and buff. He's probably, you know, I mean, how fat can you get with locust, right? I could get fat with locust, but I don't think he could. <laughs> so he, 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 there wasn't much to him. But um, here's what would happen today. With many Christians... 
some of you and lots of non-believers, they would look at that text and say, there you have it. That's God. Dies at 30 years old. Gave his life to God. Lived in the desert. Ministered a difficult ministry. I promise you a difficult ministry for a few years and was beheaded. That's just awesome. That's just the God I want to serve. That God is not what? Fair. And because he's not fair, he can't be good. That's the modern mindset. And that has crept into every one of our thinking a little bit. Some more, some less. And you're going to have to be aware of that. That's the big buzz. Is God even good? We have so many songs we sing now that we're evidently reminding ourselves, and I sing them, I like them, that God is good. I shouldn't have to be reminded. It's okay. But what's behind all of that? Do I have, am I believing he's not good? <laughs> is, is that where it's come? Is that where it's gone to? I have to sing to just get myself to believe that he's good anymore? Here's the thing. This is what I do. You've got to do what you have to do. But I only go to one place, and I've shared this. I'm going to share it a thousand more times if I get the opportunity. There's one place to go to see if God's good. Right here. It starts and ends right here. Is God good? He loves you. He died for you. He was beaten for you, for your transgressions, for my transgressions, for our transgressions. He's good. Why people die at 30 when they live exemplary lives, I don't know, but he's good right here. He's good. Why did my son die? Why did my husband get cancer? I don't know necessarily, but he's good. He's trustworthy. He's good. You have to go to the cross. If you don't have that foundation in your head, you'll be surprised where you'll go in your thinking, in your deepest thinking. You'll be thinking, well, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of Christians are like, I don't know. I'm kind of confused. It's unnecessary. You know, when my kids are growing up, I have three kids, they're all adults now, uh, married and, and uh, doing well, and I praise God for that. But, you know, there were times where they would come to me, or my wife Katie, and, and pretty convinced that we were not good and not fair. It normally started in a lack of fairness, which instantly knocked the domino of goodness down. We weren't good. We weren't fair, so we weren't good. And, you know, as a parent, you just got to put up with that. But isn't it, isn't it just kill you sometimes? You're just thinking... I'd give my life for you guys. So would your mom. We really have given our lives for you. We, we, what more can we give you that's worth having than what we've given you? And we're not good and we're not fair. Interesting. And that's what we can do with God. I would just suggest you try not to think like that. That's less good. Don't think like that. That's a waste. God is good. God's mysterious. God's a lot of things that I don't understand. And if I get to heaven and I want to find out, I guess I could. But I don't think I'll need to know then. I don't think I'll need to know. Let's look at the last little section. We're not going to go through the genealogy because I can't read half of those names. And none of them are as good as Trachonitis. So anyway, <laughs> let's just end up with these last few verses. Verse 21. The focus changes. And when all the people were baptized, 
And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the, Holy, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So John, as you remember, John and the other gospels kind of paint this picture. John, John kind of dutifully baptizes Jesus. He didn't think he should. He knew that Jesus didn't need to be a, have a baptism of repentance because he was perfect. He was flawless. He was blameless. So John dutifully baptized him. And the Spirit and the Father just kind of beautifully respond to that baptism. But <clears throat> the ending point for tonight is this. Our great hope, my great hope, your great hope, our great hope, isn't that Jesus was baptized by John. It's amazing that he was. I don't even understand why he was completely, but that's not our great hope, that Jesus was baptized by John. Our great hope is that he would be baptized, buried in death three years later. That baptism matters the most. Not his baptism with John. Amazing as it was, it was a good thing. The father was pleased. But the thing that's important to you and me tonight is this. Three years later, he would have another baptism. He would be buried, like baptism, in a grave, in a tomb for three days. And he would rise again. And the great mystery is this, that in Christ... For those of you that are believers, and I pray that you are all believers in Christ and the gospel, that you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, that when we are placed in Christ, which we're in Christ, the Bible says, that somehow when he was buried, we were in him and buried with him and brought to newness of life. And that's the way forward with sin. It's not necessarily going out there every Sunday or any Sunday and being baptized with a baptism of repentance. I'm sorry for my sin. That's okay. But there's no victory in that. The victory is in a baptism that happened three years after this point that changed the world. It changes your world today. The Bible says this in Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. If you're born again tonight, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you possess through that power of the Holy Spirit's presence, the Holy Spirit, by the way, the ability to live a life, to live a life that's so amazing. Does it mean you'll never sin again? No, you'll sin again. We will empower sin in our own lives. Sin doesn't hold us captive like it did before we were saved, before we were born again. But we can feed it and we can resurrect that monster. We all can. And so your hope, my hope, our hope, is that baptism that didn't happen here the baptism that happened three years later in the life of Jesus. That's our hope tonight. And maybe tonight, I don't know, maybe tonight the Holy Spirit would be saying to you, there's sin in the camp. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing, folks, and I don't understand it. It's a mystery, but it's true. Because we're all connected, 
because we're in this thing called the body of Christ. There's a oneness in our lives. Your sin is my sin, and my sin is your sin. Your cancer is my cancer, and my cancer is your cancer. Sin affects all of us. My sin affects you. Your sin affects me. It's supernatural, but my body, if I have a brain tumor, everything in due season is going to be affected by something that's going on up here. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. You owe it to Jesus and the Holy Spirit to deal with sin. That's the message of Luke 3. There's a voice crying out in the wilderness, make his paths straight. And I think many of us tonight, myself included, can look at areas in my life at least, I go, man, it's insidious, but it's there and it's growing. Sin is so insidious. It's so clever. So I'm going to pray. But if, if you would say tonight, if you're bold enough to say, you know what? I am one of those people that in all honesty, sin is, is grabbing a hold of me. There's all kinds of sin, pride. There's sins you see on the outside, sin you don't see except on the inside. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pray for you. And I just believe it's not gonna be a baptism of repentance, but I think God's gonna help you because we have not, because we ask not. So baptism's kind of a formal thing. There's no hiding baptism. You're wet, you're out there, this isn't a baptism, but you can't hide a hand. So if that's you tonight, you just state, I just want you to, I want everyone to bow their heads if you would. I'm going to close in prayer right now. Don't look around. There's nothing else to see but your own heart. But if you're saying, yeah, that's me, that's me. I just know sin has grabbed an upper hand. And I just, want, I, just want to, I just want to see steps. I just, want to see, I just want to see it put in remission tonight. Would you pray for me? I want to do that right now. So raise your hand. And we're going to close with this prayer. So Jesus Christ, I just, we are just amazed by you. We're amazed by your power. We're amazed by your love. We're amazed that you're not in love with a future version of us. <laughs> And tonight, Lord, some are bold enough to go on record, like baptism, actually, to say, man, sin has got a hold of me. And it's taken me someplace that I don't want to go. So, Lord, as you see raised hands, Lord, they're really connected to raised hearts. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would purify and cleanse. That tonight, Lord, you would do what only you can do through your Holy Spirit and your power and that you would create in us, Lord, clean hearts and renew a right spirit in us, Lord. That you would launch us into a, a new season of life in you. You'd launch us into the visible signs of repentance, God. Repentance isn't philosophical. It's tangible. It's knowable. It's seeable. And I pray, Lord, as there's repentance tonight in this place, Lord God, that the fruit of that would be so obvious not only to the person with a raised hand, but to those that they're connected to. And that there would be great joy in that victory. So Lord Jesus, thank you for defeating sin on the cross.
Thank you for defeating sin again tonight in our hearts. And any night, Lord, that we come to you and pray for help in our time of need. Lord, there are people here tonight that maybe aren't struggling with any known sin, Lord, but are just weary from well-doing. God, I pray that they would continue to do their faith, Lord. That they would continue to, uh, even if it's a desert season, Lord, to, to just stay faithful to you, knowing that in due season, Lord. And maybe due season is heaven for all of us, Lord. I don't even know. Maybe it's not on earth all the time. But that you would find us a faithful lot, Lord. And so, Jesus, tonight we just celebrate a life well lived in John the Baptist. He lived well. He died well. And one day, we're going to know him. We're going to know John the Baptist. And, Lord, it's going to be amazing. But most importantly, we're going to know you, Jesus. And that's the big thing. That's the great thing. And so bless us now as we head home, Lord. Thank you for the book of Luke. As we continue to study it, Lord, may it continue to study us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a good evening.